one of the raptors that's come up here is Brian. And I can just imagine he picks it up in his mouth. Two of the other raptors look over and go, no, 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 Brian. And then he just bites down on it. <laughs> so I know that he's supposed to be an Indiana Jones surrogate, but come on. We'll just have to do it the old-fashioned way. Well, what old-fashioned way? What, the way your grandfather told you to deal with massive raptors trying to eat one of the children in your care. The lights come on. There are dinos. Camouflaging dinos. Camellia dinos. It's Carnotaurus! Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Sharkliffe Royals' coverage of The Lost World by Michael Crichton. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. We've come a long way, Dave. We've come a long way, baby. This is the the, the final instalment of our coverage of the book. We will return and do the, the film after this. Oh, are um, we, so, we sure on that? Are we definitely going to... Oh, no, no, hang on. We haven't done the second film yet, have we? Sorry, I, I was jumping ahead to Jurassic Park 3, over which <laughs> I think, for the sake of our sanity, we have to hang a question mark. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, but no, this is this is the last part of The Lost World the book we're going from a chapter called the high hide um as far as the end <sighs> hold on to your butts as uh, <laughs> i've said that before i'm not gonna say that again <laughs> no say it again no there's only one way of expressing shit's about to get real in a jurassic park novel and it is the phrase hold on to your butts <laughs> well yeah hopefully you're already holding on to your butts after i said it last time but if you're not <laughs> grasp them firmly because uh, yeah it's going to be a bumpy ride this last chapter or this last part of the book so the high hide it starts well hey the um the people have survived the trailer and they can uh. see yeah you can see from the high hide that they're still alive great stuff yeah but yeah. but arby's sort of busy looking elsewhere like the opposite direction from the trailer to the plane because the raptors are Ooh. coming up <gasps> through the plane towards the high hide. <gasps> they can't see it. But they can't no. see it, Dave, so it's all fine. <laughs> um, we just sort of we sort of cut away briefly to the trailer where Malcolm's in a familiar position to the first book. He's stretched out. He's got something wrong with his leg and he's about to get massively doped up on morphine. It's exactly <laughs> the same as what happened in the first book. Yeah, so if the previous book is anything to go by, you know, in a 200 pages time, this won't have happened. And he'll just be sort of rumours of my rumors of my heavy sedation and loss of use of my legs have been uh, heavily exaggerated. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it does raise the um, thrilling po- possibility, well, uh, prospect, of uh, the greatest double act of all time, Malcolm and Morphine, making a return. So that should be good. <laughs> Malcolm and Morphine. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not 100% on which of our throwaway lines is going to become our first Emmy-winning smash animation, Matt. But I have to tell you, I think a late-night adult-oriented animation called Malcolm and Morphine, I think, would have to be up there. Imagine that. <laughs> Fella called Malcolm, and this little little pill of opiates you know edgy Matt edgy is what it is it's not inappropriate it's not heartless it's edgy oh, <laughs> oh back to the high hide this band of marauding raptors are, are just just heading underneath on their way somewhere else just um, sauntering like... by <laughs> yeah. I quite like how Levine thinks there's no organization they're just some like random 
like there's like a biker gang. Which is, <laughs> <laughs> no, more so because biker gangs have very kind of strict hierarchy and rules, and you know all yeah. of the stuff about all of that stuff in the inside and outside. What this is is the scramble for the backseat of the school bus is what this is. You know, you, you get on, get on, you know, on the school bus up to the top level, backseat! And then there was like this epic 30-child battle royale for the the, uh, the honour of sitting right at the back where you could get away with the most shit. Um, that's basically from now on, I'm casting Raptors in the role of the extremely unruly, you know, extremely unruly 12-year-olds you would find on the 330 bus from my school to my house. That's the. That's what I'm thinking about. <laughs> no, um, my daughter loves that gag. I'll tell you. About. <laughs> um, no, look, the Eddie and the kids are, are really frightened, and they're hunkered down at the side of the of the hide. Levine is looking at it more sort of academic detachment. He can't understand what the what the worries are about. Um, he's about to get a rude awakening, put it that way. Um, what, <laughs> Hang on, mate. You mean to say that academic detachment is going to be shown to be fundamentally hubristic and will lead to the horrible death of one or more characters? In a Michael Crichton <laughs> novel, you astonish me. You see, yeah, because one raptor finds <laughs> one of Levine's candy bar raptors. <laughs> And looks up and snarls. And I just imagine it's like, it's found the candor off it's looked up and it's like, you son of a... This is an I- unspoiled island paradise. And you're throwing these <laughs> that's things there. That's amazing. The raptors, while forthright in the expression of their opinions, are fundamentally ecologists. And they're about <laughs> conservation. They're just concerned about the fidelity of the natural environment. And if you don't respect it, they will fuck you up. <laughs> that's what these raptors they're very environmentally conscious manic 12 year old boys that's the yeah you <laughs> have these two things in in, in uh, competition in collaboration with each other <laughs> yeah so a raptor's found um, a candy bar wrapper and he's not happy <laughs> back to Malcolm um, we find out it's five hours until the helicopter is going to return um, and then Malcolm moves into you know his his usual sort of just freewheeling about various things about life being unbelievably complex um that it creates its own order yeah um what do you make of all this stuff well well, i mean again this i get the strong sense this is sort of what the book exists for well it exists in order to capitalize on the huge success of the first novel and film but also Mm. i get the sense that the thing that got michael Crichton to the end of it was the opportunity to dump in a lot of this kind of philosophizing and you know like i've said before this stuff i found when i first read it when i was a teenager i just loved that there was a novel where somebody was going to get eaten by dinosaurs and in the middle of that you were going to take a five-page break to talk about the nature of human endeavor and like i just i'm not entirely i'm not nearly as on board with the sort of specifics of the philosophy now as i was then but i just sort of loved that anybody was thinking yeah yeah this is this is one of the things we talk about this i'm into um and it is dead interesting as as you say though it's nothing that malcolm hasn't said before it's just him kind of freewheeling in a kind of a i have a i have a phd in non-linear mathematics but that that qualifies me to hold force on on philosophy um and in a sense what this really is is an argument that even people with 
PhDs in non-Nilian mathematics should also have some sort of qualification or grounding in philosophy. Um, mm. You know, as it turns out, some mythical Chinese bullshitter really does have a lot of relevance to a lot of the stuff that's been going on in this book. Um, and um, yeah, I yeah, I thought it was interesting stuff. I thought it was good. How about you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we do get a final sort of word on his theory for why the dinosaurs became extinct. Um, sort of, he, he's mentioned behaviour in the past, and he sort of expands on it. He gives an example. He says, you know, some dinosaur roots in the swamps around the inland sea changes the water circulation, destroys the plant ecology. Twenty other species depend on that; they're gone. You know, and then the, those yeah. twenty species, them dying, has a knock-on effect, and on and on it goes, and suddenly everything's dead. Yeah. Um, so I- just sort of a few changes in behaviour could lead to it could be an extinction event without yes. there needing to be something like a meteor and i think that's a really that's far more natural to me now than it was back then back then it blew my mind you know this whole like such a good ex- explanation of like the butterfly effect in terms of butterfly flaps its wings and then halfway around the world there's a hurricane it's kind of a mm. almost too simple an explanation of what the theory says because you end up just going right but why how like, how does mm. one lead to the other? You know, I drop things off the table all the time and nobody can point me to the hurricane that's caused. Um, but this was great because it explained how these small changes could lead to an extinction-level event that you would leave no record, leave no trace. Um, and actually, I was thinking about this this week. I don't know if you saw this. This article went sort of a little bit viral in GQ um, mm. uh, about... Um, uh, sperm counts in the West and the fact that like male sperm counts have been dropping for about 60 or 70 years and you can graph it there is a non-mad scenario where just like in the movie um, Children of Men basically people mm. become unable to reproduce and if that's I mean so the study isn't consistent around the world it hasn't been conducted around the world it was very much pitched in that kind of the world is ending the end is nigh and I'm, I'm not convinced in that but insofar as it goes, it made a pretty solid argument. And that's a great example of how, you know, if that were to happen, if, you know, 100 years from now, what that leads to is the fact that there's no more humans because everybody's died and nobody could reproduce, um, hmm. you wouldn't know. You'd have no way of finding out. Um, there'd be no fossil record, you know, that sort of thing wouldn't leave a, wouldn't leave a record in terms of the, the rocks on the planet. It would just be like, uh, all right. And then, you know, they stopped for some reason. Hmm. Um, and uh, I mean it's sobering but it is also fascinating how much this has like embedded itself in my head to the point where this book has embedded itself in my head to the point where I wasn't wholly surprised by that that it was just like oh yeah 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 behavior can lead to extinction done Um, in a way that nobody would choose but once it started happening nobody can control Um, yeah really really fascinating made me think of that yeah and then uh, at the end of this he wraps up by saying you know we better get out of here <laughs> and- <laughs> Malcolm and Morphine's double act punchline is actually a fairly sober straightforward statement of self-preservation all right thanks kids seriously you've been great but really we should go <laughs> and then they try to radio through to Eddie and um, the response is just some scream <sighs> Eddie trouble Eddie Trouble for Trubs. Eddie. Trubs. <laughs> it had to happen, man. It had to happen. Okay, let's do it then. Take your hat off, please. Oh. Um, oh, your hard hat, ideally, for, uh, for the engineer. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the raptors are, are jumping and effectively sort of climbing up the um, high hide. Mm. 
to get at the the people inside. Mm. Um, they've sort of corralled the kids to the centre, and Eddie sort of chucks a flare down, like, and that doesn't work. It's, mm. it's a bit throwaway. This is like maybe a flare will work. Nope. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> on to the next. <laughs> um, he starts brandishing. The, he sort of pulls up an iron bar and starts uh, whacking the the raptors with it. I mean, first of all, love the image. I mean, this is a set piece made for the video game circa 1998, and I'm good with that. But equally, isn't this thing supposed to be made, like, purposefully super lightweight? Hmm. So, so uh, first of all, probably there's not that many struts in the floor spare that you can really rip up and start going at these, going at dinosaurs with. Secondly, if you did, wouldn't it just sort of bounce off their snouts in a sort of a, oh, sorry, we didn't build this to be a weapon sort of a way? Isn't it yeah, like probably. honeycomb <laughs> aluminium? It'd be like hitting them with a sheet of paper. You have at you, sir. I will not. Oh, oh, you've eaten me. Oh no. <laughs> right. I've got to say something. Right. So what happens here? Yeah, he he starts fighting them effectively. He nearly gets pulled over the side once, and mm. Levine manages to sort of drag him back. And then, as the kids are climbing up onto the roof, um, another raptor sort of manages to, by grabbing the bar, pull Eddie out of the. Uh, sort of out of the hide, he falls to the ground and he's he's sort of he's torn apart. It's really quite grim because mm. the um, it's the, basically the line says they heard Eddie screaming in the night. The raptors snarled, and I thought that was a great horror line. That's it's, oh, it's, yeah. it'd be well in place in a in a really disturbing horror book. That yes, I agree, and it's all about showing you just enough for your imagination to do the rest. The raptors mm. snarled, and that's all you need for it to be like. Ah! Mm. Yeah, I mean, just before that, as he's being dragged out, he shouts "No," which <sighs> I thought was a bit weird. <laughs> Classic. I mean, is do you think this is a? Actually, are you familiar? Let's do that again. Are you familiar with the phenomenon of the Wilhelm scream? Yeah, yeah. So. Uh- yeah, that basically that sound effect put in all films since the first guy started using it. Things. Um, do you think this is an attempt to put a Wilhelm scream in a novel? Because <laughs> because otherwise it is a bit off, isn't it? That he's like ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, that's a shame because just... it's it's it's, a, it's probably the most affecting death in the book. This it but, is. Um, that is all I'm going to think of. Oh, I'm <laughs> sorry. Well, I mean, as we know, this is not the first time either you or I have read this novel, so I hope you got to enjoy it a good amount first in its full emotional impact before I turned it into a punchline. <laughs> yeah. Now, Ed, Eddie's death is like you can kind of guess of all the of all the people who are here, he he might be the one who's going to die because on the intelligence scale, he's sort of he's not a certifiable genius like the rest of them. And that seems to be the way you survive in a crime book. But <laughs> at, the sa- at the same time, I had a really bad giveaway when I first read this book. <laughs> Imagine the bad look of this. This is exactly what happened. I saw it in the shop, The Lost World. Mm. Thought, oh, amazing. And you know, the first thing you do, you just sort of open it quickly. Yeah. And the first line I read was, the raptors were fighting over the remains of Eddie's carcass. Oh, and I was like, oh, so some oh, guy called Eddie spoilers. dies. Spoilers. 
So as soon as he appeared in the book, I knew that he, at some point, somehow, yeah. he was going to He was going killed. to die. Oh, yeah. mate, I'm sorry. So you've already had the full impact of the loss of this complete legend of a character. Like, you've never been able to experience that impact, and now I've turned it into a punchline for you. I'm really sorry, mate. You, you and Eddie, it was not meant to be. Yeah, I feel robbed. I feel I never had the hope with Eddie. I never thought maybe he'll get out, because yeah. unless he he'd created some kind of dummy carcass of himself, he's going down. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so as this is all happening, um, Kelly climbs onto the roof, and Levine's trying to help Arby up, and Arby sort of panics and kicks out, <laughs> kicks Levine in the face, and Levine <laughs> drops him, and he's just like... Oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, he, he sort of... Um, Gives vindication to Thorne's decision uh, last week to, um, to to not leave Eddie uh, to not leave Le- Levine alone Levine with alone kids because it's useless. Yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> true. And you can just imagine that for the first picosecond after he's let him go, Levine is feeling justifiably angry. He's like, "The kid kicked me in the nose. I was right to let him go." Oh, oh, no, I really wasn't. No, I've done a terrible thing. <laughs> Um, we just sort of cut briefly back to the trailer. Harding uh, is jumping on a, um, the bike and shooting off. Uh, Thorne decides to get into the Jeep. Sorry, the, the Jaguar Land Rover. No, it's not, is it? It's, uh, it's, what is no, it? it's the Jeep Wrangler. It's the Jeep Wrangler. It's the world's <laughs> finest field vehicle, Matt. <laughs> the most desirable. The most I was going to say, vehicles. once again, Land Rover Defender, fuck you all. You know, <laughs> West Midlands represent Revel Revel. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly's lying flat on top of the roof now. She can't see Arby. Um, back to S- Sarah takes a wrong turn. Um, I think this is just si- simply to to get her behind Thorn. Um, then they're back to the high high. We're just sort of snapping back and forth here. Yeah. Um, the By the way, feeding. I know I've sorry. I know I've said this before, but I just love the layout of this. Like the way he's constructed this physically, where you've got a high hide, you've got things that can happen there, but the high hide can see the other place that shit's going on, and you mm. have this sense of even though your characters are all quite complicated and mixed up in different places, I don't ever lose lose track of it, and I think that's really smart. That's mm. really really good plotting. Yeah. Now suddenly um, Kelly hears Arby shouting get back and it turns out he's managed to get himself in the cage. He's alive! Chekhov's cage, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Chekhov's raptor cage, brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's trying to lock it uh, but he can't get his hand out to lock it. And then um, the key snaps off because the raptor tries to like snap at him and he gets his key stuck in his jaws. So yeah. it pulls it pulls its head away, and there's this key just stuck around it. Um, yeah. I initially thought, I, oh, this I is really Brian liked it again. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant! I <laughs> this, that's absolutely what it is, isn't it? Brian, you're supposed to. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to eat the child, right? What did Not What did key. you do? What did you do? You ate the fucking rubber band, Brian. You ate the rubber band. What is the matter with you? I gave you a chance. Get out. Go home. Eat your rubber band for tea. That's your job. Um, I, I, I particularly like the kind of staging of this because it's um, uh, because it's the sort of little physical detail, like somehow getting a rubber band wrapped around its jaws, which hmm. in order to fix that, 
if it was a dog, you just hope you had a good relationship with the dog and be like, right, come on, hold still, put your hand in its mouth and pull out this rubber band. (laughs) A a shiny silver pound, Matt, for somebody who wants to do that with a raptor. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's not going to (laughs) happen. Um, yeah, so they've got to find some way of getting that key back. Because I think it, what happens is he has managed to lock himself in now, but they'll need the key to get him out. Yeah. Um, problem. Yeah. yeah. I, want, I wonder <laughs> if that's going to become a, a thrilling chase sequence across the island. <laughs> now, the raptors can't get in the cage, so they just start kicking the shit out of it. They're basically Asbo raptors. They're just like... <laughs> <laughs> Asbo! Asbo Raptors! <laughs> and then the then the car, the, the jeep comes like bouncing up and it's like the police have arrived. It's like, shit, the cops! And they like, run off and check the cage with it. Cheese it! <laughs> Cheese it, boys! <laughs> uh, we're then in the cage with RB. He's basically in a special kind of hell as he's bouncing around inside it. Yeah. Um, Levine sees the raptors dragging the remains of Eddie away. I think this was the bit where you know, that I actually read um, by yeah. accident. Yeah. Um, and Levine now wants to kill them all. Is a... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not like a wholly unfamiliar trope, is it? The kind of standoffish, conflict-averse, nebbishy type character turning into yeah. like an avenging angel when, when pushed too far. But... I do sort of wonder what was going to happen as a result of this, because he doesn't go particularly postal, does he, after this? <laughs> like, if you're going to have a character reach this point, I mean, it drives you through the the, the emotion of the scene and so on, like, right on. Um, but at the same time, I do sort of, after this, want to see him, like, rip the you know, rip the uh, Oxford button-down shirt from his otherwise bony ribcage, hammer on his <laughs> chest like, you know, early man reborn and say, come at me, you bastards! You know, I want <laughs> something here instead of him just sitting there and, as he has done with everything else, really just only internalise, uh, internally vocalise his emotional experience. I want him to, like, go for it, to grab whatever's nearest to hand, be it combat knife or biro and just fucking have one of them just go for it that's what i want in this situation is that too much to ask matt is that too much to ask richard levine goes postal (laughs) yeah so levine goes postal in a slightly less um legendary way than that um but he leaps in the he leaps in the uh, jeep wrangler the most desirable of all field vehicles with thorn (laughs) and they they go chasing after the raptors um, in the meantime, uh, Malcolm is is sitting back listening to the screams on the radio. He thinks a hundred thousand things going to hell at once. Um, sort of sighs and <laughs> closes his eyes. It's like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's his response. Once again, this is a very kind of avant-garde double act, isn't it, Malcolm and Morphine? Where <laughs> where where his response to a really kind of high emotional moment is just to lie back and go. Yeah, I thought so. I thought <laughs> <Yeah>. so. <laughs> God, I hate being right all the time. Again. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? I hate being right all the time, but it feels so good. <laughs> um, Thorn, as they're bouncing along in the car, Thorn's like, how did it happen? Levine's like, I, I don't know. And um, and he said, you know, what happened to Eddie? And Levine, it's almost, it's, this is like a action film moment. He goes, what happened to Eddie? And Levine just goes, it was fast. 
And then there's, there's like a curt <laughs> nod in the carry-on. <laughs> oh, that the curt nod is what drags that out of the emotional moment and squarely into B-movie territory, isn't it? It's a sort of, <laughs> it was fast. And then they look at each other in kind of a, this seems reasonable. Like, that's <laughs> agreed. This seems, the, or everything here is sad but fine. You know, as yeah. if they're both, as if they're like <clears throat> career soldiers who trained for this moment to be stoic <laughs> in the face of the horrifying death of one of their comrades. No, 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 no. Levine, at least, ought to be like, it was so fast. Or, I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to jump out, get this biro between my teeth and just go for them. And Thorne's <laughs> trying to get him back in the car. This is the moment where we should have Levine goes postal. But no, what we get instead is Levine suddenly and belatedly turning into Steve McQueen. Mm, not not convinced. Yeah, um, Kelly uh, comes down from the high hide as, as Sarah arrives. And she says, you know, there's that raptor's got the key and that raptor's run off in like, the opposite direction onto the plane. So uh, Sarah gives Kelly the rifle and off they go, chasing after that. Um, <laughs> so so the trained scientist and field operative hands the 12-year-old, 12-year-old? No, she's a teenager. I think she's like 14. <laughs> okay, hands the 14... You're right, that's much better. Hands the 14-year-old, right... The gun, which we've already established, is loaded with a neurotoxin so potent that essentially if you drop it on your foot, you will be dead before you realise that you've done it. That's the, <laughs> that, that's the... that's I just want to be clear that that's where we are right now. This is... Clarissa explains it all with a, like, hair-trigger-loaded neurotoxin <laughs> rifle yeah. riding on the back of a motorbike. But of, of the available options, it's that... Or she drives the motorbike, and I think that that Which, may have ended even worse. Actually, that's true. Driving a motorbike, you have an opportunity to die every single second. Whereas I guess when holding, you know, a terrifyingly powerful neurotoxin, you have a chance to die only insofar as you accidentally drop the gun with the safety off. Yeah. Fine, I suppose. Good, good. Back to the uh, Jeep Wrangler, the most desirable of all fuel vehicles. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's never not going to be funny that's so fucking funny could only be more inappropriate if it was a, a, a like a Hummer like an H3 or something you know there's things that you only ever see conquering the terrifying north face of Kensington High Street like yeah. it would only be funnier if it was that again I say <laughs> Land Rover Defender hmm? <laughs> um, the Raptors have booted the cage down into the nest and they've run off and it's down this massive like ravine thing and Levine's like oh well that's that then they've got him he's dead yeah <laughs> Which... <and> once again <laughs> go on well he just goes from he just wanted to kill them he wanted to kill them all which is like face painted in woad the blood and gore of my enemies <laughs> dripping slowly from my elbows as I turn around in slow-mo right into like passive fatalism oh well like in the course of this single drive this curt nod he's gone from i'm going to kill them all to death happens what are you going to do to there's nothing we can do about this all we can do is get out alive there's no reason for us to hang around any longer than necessary let's split up look for survivors and get out of here basically <laughs> is what's what happens yeah thorn thorn's like balls to that we're going in and puts his foot down, and Levine screams like, shit, you'll kill us all. <laughs> <laughs> you know what that reminded me of as much as anything else? This is absolute classic. This is the uh, the family guy when they got when they got the 
the recommission for the fourth <laughs> series after they were cancelled. And one of the first episodes, they had a riff that was um, uh, like the sequel to The Passion of the Christ. The Passion of the Christ 2, <laughs> crucify this. Yeah. And it's got it's got a bit in that sequence where the where like it's all like it's all like updated and it's like some dumbass nineties action movie and it's it's basically Jesus and his sidekick accelerating and the sidekick's like for the son of God you sure are a son of a whoa <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's it right now Thorn appears in the role of the resurrected Christ and <laughs> Levine is played by Chris Tucker that's what's going on in this scene um, it, it gave me. Um sort of hint so it, it reminded me of the sort of Gennaro and Grant um, routine to going towards the raptor nest at the end of the last book there's yeah. so many right, very similar echoes here I yeah. mean obviously that seemed a bit more crazy because there wasn't a you know a child in danger to go after <laughs> they just wanted to go and count some eggs yeah but, uh, but I mean I, so uh, you can almost see, can't you? And again, I have a lot of respect for Michael Crichton and his books have been probably far more formative on my consciousness than they should have been because of the age I read them at. But you can almost hear him receiving feedback from his publishers after the fact. Like, <laughs> Mikey, baby, come in, sit down, let's talk. You cannot have scientific curiosity being the main plot driver in the last third of the novel, Mike. You just can't do it. That is not a good enough reason for them to climb down into a hole. And adding a certain dash of moral outrage on Alan Grant's part does not get the job done. <laughs> Tip for you, next time, make it a kid. Kid in jeopardy. Kids love that. They'll be, they'll be all over that forever. The entire audience, they'll be on it. Um, <laughs> and, and it works. You're right. It does work better. This is the upgraded version. Hmm. Onto sixth configuration, order collapses in simultaneous regions, survival is now unlikely for independent and groups, Ooh. individuals and groups. Um, then to chase, so this is chasing after I wonder what's going to happen in this, in this chapter. <laughs> um, they catch up to the raptor, Kelly shoots and misses, Sarah's <gasps> like, never mind, I'll get closer. The raptor butts them, and Sarah howls, she's like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> it's going for the, it's going for the river the raptor so the bike sort of bounced along after it and kelly accidentally shoots again um they actually fall off the bike at one point it's <laughs> a little bit it, it turns a little bit speeded up ben hill this like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you're casting of course the raptor there in the role of benny hill i quite like the idea of a raptor wearing that little kind of postman's hat and the rest of it doing the Ernie, the fastest milkman in the West bit. <laughs> <laughs> so it looks like that Raptor's getting away. Meanwhile, the uh, Jeep Wrangler, the most desirable of all field vehicles, is bouncing down this hill. It somehow survives just because it's the most desirable the, of all field vehicles. Because the gotta go, plot's got to go somewhere, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And then there's silence. And then this stream bed. And they're at the Raptor nest. <sighs> and there are these apatosaur carcasses, these massive skeletons by the nest. Um, and Malcolm buzzes in on the radio and is like, describe the nest for me. So Levine like, looks around. It's a really, I mean, keeping with the Asbo Raptor theme, it's a really like, <laughs> it's a slovenly nest. You know, there's bits of crap. I'd imagine there's like crushed beer cans and <laughs> used condoms everywhere. <laughs> That's really... That is really funny, and I think that is a um, that it's a student house, isn't it? Though we've moved on from Asbo Raptor to mm. like the kind of the kind of filth one would expect in like first year halls of residence. Mm. Yeah. I would imagine, <laughs> obviously, my own were, were impeccable, um, but 
Yeah. Uh, the uh, it's very different from the fossil records apparently um, where dinosaur nesaur must always have some kind of order to them and we, you, i mentioned yeah there's these four massive apatosaur carcasses there which they can't quite work out why they're there one human carcass as well um oh. <laughs> little lady um and they've got they count 10 raptors and three little like scrawny juveniles and no babies um yeah, I'm sure nothing untoward happened to the babies. <laughs> They're trying to work out how to save Arby. Um, they've only got six darts. Levine's got this, like, <laughs> apparently, out of nowhere, he's got this paralysis gas grenade. Um, but they can't... His, what, on his key ring for, <laughs> for emergencies? Well, tell you what, if stuff gets tasty, even if you're in the middle of a city, pull the ring, drop it on the floor, job done. <laughs> Uh, they can't use that because even though it'll paralyze the raptors, it, the the smoke might blow over and paralyze Arby as well. Yeah. Um, I would suggest that is a slightly less, in terms of like risks here, that is slightly less risky than the plan they go with, which Thorne describes as the old-fashioned way, and it's just driving <laughs> Based there. Based on his hope- massive experience <laughs> of dealing with raids on raptor nests, I'm so, I know that he's supposed to be an Indiana Jones surrogate, but. Come on, the old. Fa- I'm making this up as I go. We'll just have to do it the old-fashioned way. What, what old-fashioned way? What the way your grandfather told you to deal with massive raptors trying to eat one of the children in your care? Bollocks! You mean yeah. we'll just do this involving an internal combustion engine? Hmm. Hmm. Mister Thorne, I doubt you. I doubt you. That is it. He, the old-fashioned way is drive in. And just hope the sort of your character shields protect you long enough to get out. <laughs> That's exactly so right. That I am a named character and prominent in this plot. Roll <laughs> the dice. <laughs> Sarah's chasing the raptor still. They're back on the bike now. They cut off its river escape attempt into the apatosaur herd. This is quite a good moment. They're sort of like weaving between these massive oh, legs of the apatosaurs. Um, they pull parallel. <laughs> Sarah does a Gennaro and punches the raptor in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and then Kelly practically holds the gun against its head and pulls the trigger <laughs> and down it goes I know what you're thinking you're thinking I pulled the trigger three times was it three times or four times well do you feel lucky punk well do you <laughs> I quite like this the um, the raptor goes down they go and get the key and then they open up the like the, the uh, ammo bit of the, the gun and there are five more darts. And Kelly's like, I thought you said there were no more darts left. And she's like, yeah, I know. Just wanted to make sure you didn't miss. <laughs> <laughs> that is a risky strategy. Because if you think that gun is useless and it's preventing you from staying safely on the bike, I'd throw it away. You should imagine that sort of like, boom, boom. Okay, well, I've done three. I guess we're running away. I'll just throw it away. No, no, wait, wait. I lied. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Back to the nest. The, the raptors are still eating Eddie's carcass. I mean, I imagined Eddie's to be quite scrawny, but yeah. I think he must be absolutely... He must be like the rock or something, because he's just... <laughs> just he's, he's still chowing down. He's taking a long time to get through, Matt, honestly. You know, <laughs> had the liver of a champion. Yeah, and here comes the Jeep rescue. They just drive up, grab Arby's cage, and start driving off as, as the raptors give chase. Um... <laughs> Mal- Malcolm's having some morphine dreams. Um, oh yeah, he's got this yeah theory of complex organisms and how behaviour is learned, and um, basically, you know, the raptors haven't learned to look after the kids, 
So, so these must be sort of the later versions, not the ones that we saw in Jurassic Park 1. I'm giving Crichton a pass here um, because that doesn't quite track, but unless it's, yeah, unless they are like the genetically engineered ones which didn't have the gene to look after the kids. Yeah. But then his whole point here is that isn't genetic, it's behavioural. There's yeah. a problem here, basically, between book one and two, but I think we're probably best just skim over it, what do you reckon? <laughs> yeah, I th- let's move on, let's move on. <laughs> uh, this, the chase, then, this is the, the, the one where the Raptors are chasing the, the Jeep Wrangler, the most desirable of all field vehicles. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a bit of a sort of... <laughs> Sorry, carry on, carry on, carry on. Levine takes the wheel, and there's a tug of war between Thorn and this Raptor trying to pull off. I mean... They're driving without lights through the jungle here, managing to get away. Um, mm. <laughs> okay, this is for all the shit we've given Levine. He pulls off a the gold ribbon game day player MVP moment here <laughs> while driving at speed, being pursued by raptors with no lights through the jungle. He turns and manages to shoot a raptor, a pursuing raptor, which is on the back, whilst avoiding the child and Thorn, and get it bang in the face whilst continuing to evade the other raptors with his yeah. expert driving technique. I mean, you've got to give him credit here. Absolutely, this is an amazing absolutely. Move. Now, I would, <laughs> as you can well imagine, I'd quite like to rag on this for sheer implausibility, but we've all been there, haven't we, Matt? Everybody's been there. You're playing a video game you you haven't played before, maybe you played it a couple of times, and you are terrible at it. And then just something perfect comes together, and you pull off this like unbelievable treble backflip headshot between the eyes, just without knowing even how. And everybody in the room, if you're playing it multiplayer, just turns towards you and goes, "Wow, this guy." <laughs> He's mustard. We'd better be careful about him. And then you die nine times over instantly <laughs> on your next nine respawns, and everybody realizes that it was just a fluke. But yeah, I still think some of the stuff. Levine, I, I this is not exactly the sort of berserker shit I was expecting Levine to pull <laughs> off when he went into full on, you know, postal mode. But if it makes him more focused and better at playing FPSs, then why not? Go ahead. <laughs> there's um, there's this strangely like briefly funny moment where when he shoots the raptor his eyes bulge it's like oh and then it falls off the <laughs> as, if falls it's been off the pu- as if it's been punched in the balls is how i imagine <laughs> yeah. that like the full-on comedy <gasps> kind of take before it rolls off into the darkness <laughs> yeah and they escape they're back on the plane um and the radio sir and say let's meet up at the trailer the head back uh, the raptors have disappeared into the long grass. Don't go into the long grass. Um, as they head up the road, Arby's banged up but okay. Um, rather implausibly, he's still Kids are he's still okay. Kids are resilient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh oh, they get up to the road, which takes you up to the top of the ridge where the trailer is. But the raptors are already there. <sighs> So again, Thorn moves over into the driver's seat and just goes, "I'll take it from here." <laughs> <laughs> he absolutely is an Indiana Jones simulacrum. That is absolutely what's going on here. <laughs> so um, they set off. This is this chapter's called "At the Edge of Chaos." The Raptors charge the car. One hits it. One latches onto the wing mirror, and he sort of Thorn 
gets shakes it off by basically driving into a boulder. Um, <laughs> sort of scraping against a boulder. This, <laughs> this, this all, it's got a bit Mario Kart, hasn't it? Like the battle mode. You're just driving around the arena trying to shake off the people who are to your left, to your right. Just taking them out. <laughs> taking suckers yeah. out. Levine tries to knife one and it slashes his hand open. <laughs> Again, Levine. Berserker, roll, roll D20, fail. Critical fail. <laughs> one makes it onto the back of the Jeep and like rips off the roof. It's got inside. It's like, oh, it's all over. Levine's thinking, it's it. We're dead. Yeah. I'm, I was just thinking, should you use that fucking hand grenade, shouldn't you? What were you thinking yeah. here? <laughs> Is this really? Is this really the best play you could have made? Yeah, we just have to do this the old-fashioned way. You mean the way <laughs> corresponding to a dramatically lowered chance of success? Yeah, and a car, <laughs> <laughs> and a and a Jeep Wrangler, the most desirable of all field vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Add two percent likelihood of success on just for the Jeep Wrangler alone. Yeah, just as the the Raptor's about to like snap its jaws around Levine. It falls back out of the car because Sarah's driven up on the bike and Kelly shot it. She's become a dead eye now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with one shot to the side of the head, she's like, "Yeah, can do." Yeah, this is like it. This is like in a computer game actually, where do you know, like you learn a skill, and yeah. then as soon as like you've hit hit cross and learned it, then you're just an expert at it. You can do it. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> right, isn't it? It's like. <laughs> The the great the great computer game of of the Lost World looks in its databanks and goes, has she learned it? Yes, she has. Between the eyes, five hundred yards, no problem. <laughs> but there are three more raptors still pursuing them. And how many fucking raptors are on this island? <laughs> Ten, I realise this is, <laughs> this has been made a, this has been made a topic of comment before, but really is it really is like the sort of House of the Dead games where they just keep coming. You know, these <laughs> zombies from the left, zombies from the right, zombies off the banisters, zombies over the top. <laughs> yeah, and the worst thing is now they've run out of gas. <gasps> surely, oh, surely it's all over now. Dun 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 dun. What you're not counting on is the good old Jeep Wrangler, the most desirable of all fuel vehicles, <laughs> that can keep going even without the gas if you whack it into neutral and go down the hill. Oh. So um, they slide down. Even in neutral, it can out- outpace three <laughs> pursuing raps. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Like, I, the, the, the physics behind this, fine. A car can careen quite nicely on a forward slope. That's completely fine. I'm not sure that a careening car is the best way of trying to outrun three of the most lethal predators ever conceived of by nature of the evolutionary process. (laughs) Probably not. Well, the thing is, once they sort of start trundling down this hill towards the gas station and the um, little village, because they can't get up to the trailer because that's uphill, the raptors Mm. stop. They don't give chase. Had enough. Or is there another dinosaur around? A. Is there another dinosaur around, Dave? <laughs> Are they going into another dinosaur's territory? <laughs> they perhaps might be. A, perhaps one that is so fearsome that even the legendary predator, the Velociraptor, <laughs> will stay away from. Maybe a new dinosaur we haven't seen before. Maybe one, Dave, that's been waiting in the wings for its chance. <laughs> <laughs> we will find out later oh mate you can't take us all to the brink like that and then just walk it back because <laughs> we go back to trailer that's all we know oh. so far oh right, okay mm. oh, Michael Crichton knows when to keep his star player on the sideline <laughs> yeah. 
we uh, we go back to to trailer. Sarah's being uh, being chased by the raptors. Um, they sort of uh, fly some more raptors. They fly <laughs> they're flying up the um, up the road towards the trailer. And she says to Kelly, right, when we get there, just get inside. No matter what happens, it's kind of like preparing us here as readers for, you know, this is Sarah's heroic death coming up. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it's not. They make it in. It's fine. Um, <laughs> you you know what you are. You are the narrative version of one of those American TV shows where they had cliffhangers before the commercial break, and then they show them on the BBC and cut out the commercial break, so everything would fade out, and then three seconds later it would just fade back in again and be like, "Yeah, didn't matter. Nothing happened. Yeah. Carry on." Yeah, it's a little bit goosebumps-ish, isn't it? It is but, goosebumps. Um... You've been infected by goosebumps. <laughs> they get into the uh, they get into the trailer. They shut the door. The door won't lock, and this is a great moment with it with Malcolm because uh, Sarah's like bangs the door shut. She's like, "Ian, Ian, is there a lock?" And Ian's response is, "Life is a crystal." <laughs> 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 and I do love that she's given the appropriate response there, which is, "Ian, for fuck's sake, is there a lock?" <laughs> Um, they managed to find it. They're safe in the trailer for now. Yeah. Again, this is like, they're safe in the trailer, <clears throat> raptors around outside. It feels like a bit like the lodge in, in the first book. There's like a parallel there again. Mm. Um, <laughs> the Asbo raptors strike again. They can't get in. So they drag the bike away and start kicking the shit out of the bike. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, do they egg the building? But no, you're actually, that is right on. That is a far more true to type thing to do. Right. <laughs> Have this kick. kick. Can't get in. Can't get in. We're going to fuck up your ride. How do you like that? <laughs> <laughs> um, Sarah needs weapons. Ian's useless, obviously. Um, I've just stopped here to say uh, we give Levine a lot of shit throughout this. We do, but Malcolm, if we if we m- remove the fact that he's Jeff Goldblum and like a bit of a legend from the first book, he is by far the most useless member of this team, isn't he? He does. Across he the whole he book. contributes nothing other than sort of a few theories about extinction. Practically, he contributes nothing through the entire journey. I mean, he told them that the the Tyrannosaurus Rex wasn't a big frog. That's well, it, no. Though. No, he said, I knew that after seeing those guys get <laughs> torn right. apart. You're absolutely right. He said, oh, they are misinformed. You're going to tell them? <laughs> no, no. Yeah. And Dave, any knowledge he had of dinosaurs from his previous experience, he didn't share anything of it with the group. That's that was the one thing true. he could bring. And he didn't, he, didn't, <laughs> he didn't even tell Sarah that there were dinosaurs on the fucking island. Yeah. Oh, my word. Matt, you're absolutely right. Oh, I mean, this is upending my entire emotional connection to the Jurassic Park narrative universe. Ian Malcolm, what a knob end! <laughs> it's just useless. I mean, he's interesting, but he he just he basically both books. He just gets his leg hurt and then just sits around. In my opinion, sits around, but... smacked off his tits, philosophizing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He gets injured, gets high, goes home. That's basically <laughs> what Malcolm does. <laughs> Get injured, get high, go home. The Ian Malcolm story. <laughs> That's his biography. That's his biography. <laughs> um, 
Kelly finds another one of these short-term paralysis grenades. It would have been better if these had appeared earlier in the story rather than yeah. just at the point where they need them. Yeah. But anyway, she's finding one. It's like, oh, yeah. They, um, they pull the pin and throw it out. It doesn't go off. Uh, and they're like, oh, shit, we are uh, screwed. Yeah. Luckily for them, one of the raptors that's come up here is Brian. <laughs> and he sort of wanders over and's like, oh, hey guys, what's this? Picks it up in his mouth. And I could just imagine he picks it up in his mouth. Two of the other raptors look over and go, no, 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 Brian. And then he just bites down on it. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, for fuck's sake. You should imagine the, like, the last conscious memory of any of these raptors is going to be trying to summon the strength to yell at Brian again. What have you done, you idiot? I'm passing out. I'm, I'm going into the light, you twat. <laughs> <laughs> so they walk out past the raptors and Brian uh, get on the bike and bail love it he's my favourite coach in the book absolutely Brian the, Brian, raptor. Brian the shite raptor <laughs> um, village so there's a reunion in the gas station um, they go into this room again actually this is a bit, a little bit like a rather shitter version of the lodge it's, Sarah looks around and thinks it's relatively sturdy this shack um, there's some old but canned goods which will still be edible the windows are, bought, are barred you know relatively safe Yeah. but they've got two hours to get to the helipad which is miles away and uh, sort of Sarah's response to this is oh, we'll work something out and um, Kelly thinks, you know what? She says that all the time, and she's usually right. So okay, <laughs> okay, all right. It's <laughs> kind of relatively conflict-free decision making for this part of the novel. <laughs> That's pretty good. Levine is less sanguine about it. He's he's like, he's practically hysterical. He's like, we're trapped, trapped. I say, <laughs> we're all gonna die. <laughs> it's hopeless. He really is going through a lot of emotional changes, isn't he, Levine? <laughs> yeah, From he is, yeah. Rambo. <laughs> Through Steve McQueen to sort of I don't even know what's at what what archetype he's doing when he's just being the kind of nothing means anything all is meaningless swoon hero in a Tim Burton movie to this like gibbering wreck you know like he's he's put himself squarely in the in the the category that exists in a screenplay for man who's about to be eaten by a dinosaur because we all want him to go away right he's now solidly in the Gennaro yeah. slot. Which he was he'd been trying manfully to escape the entire time. He does a massive Gennaro move here now as well. So Thorne says, you know, calm down, it's okay. Next step, I'll go outside and check if there's gas in those pumps. And Levine's like, okay, you go outside. And then Thorne, wa- Thorne like, walks out, shuts the door, he just hears a click as Levine locks it. And he turns around, he's like, for Christ's sake, don't yeah, lock it. I, I love that. I just love it. <laughs> Click, <laughs> Richard. For, seriously, please unlock the door, Richard. Would you mind ever so much unlocking the door immediately? <laughs> there is something again, like Gennaro, something weirdly likable about the sort of instinct for self-preservation that Levine has, and no other characters seem to have. Like he's the only one who does the sort of. Can we at least try and stack the odds in the favour of survival here, rather than just doing stupid things? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so there's this eerie walk through the silent village. 
Um, Thorne gets the radio out of the car, goes to check the gas, no gas, goes around the corner, there are some oil drums, but they're all empty. But then he sees a path to a shed. Ooh. So he goes in there, maybe Ooh. there's some filled, filled drums in there. Nope, they're all empty as well. <gasps> and, but as, as he turns to leave, he hears breathing. <gasps> Levine's watching, mm. and he's thinking, is this another dinosaur's territory? And says to Sarah, you got a light? You're gonna switch the, could you switch the lights on? Thorn's still. He can't see anything. Then the lights come on. Dave, hold on to your, <laughs> hold on to your butt. The lights come on. There are dinos, camouflaging dinos, <gasps> camellia dinos. <gasps> it's Carnotaurus. <laughs> Dave, it's Carnotaurus. <laughs> Carnotaurus, and it's. Quite literally, it has its big moment in the spotlight and shifts colour immediately to try and get back out of the spotlight. <laughs> yeah. This is a dinosaur that literally cannot stand to be on the stage. It's Tobias Funkesaurus <laughs> setting the set of the movie on fire. Frightened inmate number two, like, runs away back to his cell. That's what's happening right now. <laughs> um, now, this is so, this is such a cool idea. It's a dino, it's a. It, it's a predator that can. It, I think they they kind of nicked it for the uh, Jurassic World first film, mm. where um, the dinosaur can cha- can sort of change its colours to almost yeah. perfectly match its environment. Um, and this is what it can do. So when the lights come on, you can mm. see it, and then it changes its colours to blend in with the light being on. Then when the light goes off, it's bright, so it slowly changes colour again. Mm. Um, he re- Levine recognises them from the ones that killed Diego. Um, Carnotaurus. <laughs> Is Sass- that a, not a little bit like I I would recognise Jaws anywhere from Jaws 3? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, oh, it's the son of the shark that killed my best friend. You know, oh, I recognise that guy anywhere with his sharp teeth and raptorish expression and generally sort of dinosaur looking mien. Uh, it's him, definitely. Pick him out of a lineup, no problem. <laughs> uh, Levine delivers the coup de grace. He says he, he identifies it as Carnotaurus Sastre. Uh, All right, yeah, now okay, now that he's got his Linnaean definition binomial nomenclature thing going on, you ready for this? I was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. Yeah. Carnotaurus appears in this novel. I can no longer make the argument that it was just for some random reason placed on the frontispiece of the the Eurovi edition of the book and that it doesn't appear in the novel. But I'll tell you, I was convinced. I would I would have laid thousands on the idea that there was no appearance by a dinosaur called Carnotaurus in this book. And that, Matt, is why I should never be allowed to gamble. I I, I would say, in your defence... It does appear. It really doesn't do much, considering how like cool an idea this is. Yeah, it just, it just wanders off after a yeah, bit. But we'll get to it. that. That's why I don't remember it. Is because even the apatosaurs have an action sequence associated with them, with driving in between their legs. The Carnotaurus, like this world-beatingly terrifying potential predator, gets a cameo appearance, unnamed, uncredited appearance, early in the book. And then later on, when it actually gets identified, it goes, "Well, oh, I'm getting the hell out of here." It just walks off. 
yeah. It really is like Anticlimactosaurus, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Anticlimactosaurus. There it is. Beautiful. So, um, yeah, so Levine sees these two Carnotauruses out there, immediately gives Thorn up for dead and says, I shouldn't have got out there. It's too bad. Honestly, he's gone all the way back to sort of, you know, Benedict Arnold, you know, traitor kind of level behaviour, driven by absolute cowardice. He's Cypher from the fucking Matrix. The number of different character archetypes Richard Levine has cycled through in the last 15 minutes absolutely beggars belief. All he's got left now is Darth Vader and the baby from Three Men and a Little Baby. Those are the only places in popular character typology that he's got left to go. Yeah, Sarah, unsurprisingly, doesn't agree. She sort of has an idea related to torches, and Levine uh, feels a bit put out that he's now having to take orders from this, quote, little muscle-bound female. (laughs) No, I was wrong. There is another character archetype. Yes, yes, yes. And there he goes, straight into the middle of it. (laughs) Yeah, so basically, as we we alluded to here, Thorn's hiding in the shed. These massive Carnotauruses move towards it, looking for a bit of food and then they shine the people in the lodge start shining torches on them mm. and annoy them enough that they just shuffle off and, and that, <laughs> that's it, is, it. I, he actually uses the verb shuffle as well doesn't he just uh, <laughs> just imagine them in like carpet slippers just going oh, i don't like it around here anyway I'm just, uh, kids these days <laughs> don't like it don't like it that's it, isn't it? It's it's you know it's Arkwright from Open All Hours getting a little bit miffed that people are invading his local and just sort of shuffling off <laughs> fruit machines, <laughs> full range of wines. <laughs> That's it. Angry old man, Asaurus. Mm. Arby's back on his feet. Malcolm sort of swims up to consciousness. Is like, is Arby okay? Yeah. You got any more morphine? Good. Back to sleep. <laughs> Useless. <laughs> Continually. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No argument they have, there. <laughs> they have a quick chat about the mystery of these dead apatosaur, these apatosaur carcasses. Mm. Maybe they floated down the river, which I still yeah. think is the most plausible explanation as to how they ended up in the raptor nest. But no, apparently the answer's in prions, which we'll hear about later on. Um, okay. Levine's like, it, Malcolm says, the answer's prions. And Levine's like, what's prions? And Malcolm just goes... Oh, go away. <laughs> he just sort of rolls over. <laughs> That's such a transparent attempt on Crichton's part. Now and now you've noted how terrible Malcolm is, I can't unsee it. And so this is just an attempt to be like, all right, I want Malcolm to be the one you walk away feeling good about, so I'm going to have him be dismissive towards Levine, who, to be <laughs> fair, has earned it. But it's such yeah. a transparent attempt to be like, no, Malcolm's still cool, he told Levine to fuck off, and you've wanted to do that for 400 pages so far, so yeah, Malcolm, woo, yeah. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> I'm alright guys yeah <laughs> am I right I can just see his, like, his hands up for the high five yeah <laughs> no <laughs> do not leave a brother hanging do not leave <laughs> guys <laughs> so um, so that they've got an hour now to get to the uh, to get to the car still no gas but at least they've got a car um, the Jeep Wrangler the most uh, no yeah the most <laughs> desirable of all field vehicles is it the Jeep Wrangler <laughs> <laughs> um, well Unluckily, the Myasols now turn up, the good mothers, and basically trash the jeep to rescue the eggs. So no jeep. Should not have messed with those mothers. (laughs) This is so funny because they um they they 
they basically squash the jeep, get into the eggs and rescue the babies and take them away. Um, and then they're looking out and like Thorne's like, oh, the jeep just wasn't built for that kind of stress. And it almost said, I wrote down here, they're making excuses for the Jeep Wrangler, the most desirable of all fear vehicles. <laughs> it, I mean, it's fairly transparent product placement, isn't it? So you, so you kind of have to be like, oh, it needs to be destroyed, but we need to make up for it somehow. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't built for these sort of stresses. Also, I still find myself, in, you know, calculably more attractive to the opposite sex or my sexual partner of choice as a result of driving in the Jeep Wrangler, the most desirable <laughs> of all field vehicles. Looks to camera, winks. Yeah. Like, Levine joins in. He's like engineers in Detroit. They just didn't expect that. It's like, uh, what other, what other item? I don't remember the trailer getting this kind of excuses <laughs> made made for it. <laughs> It is actually brilliant, isn't it? It's always like after-school special-level writing, this. Gosh, I I do hope I will again have the chance to drive a Jeep Wrangler, the world's most desirable field vehicle. So um, this does serve a a purpose beyond sort of um, protecting the reputation of Jeep Wrangler, though, because they start thinking about... uh, Thorne says, I'd, I'd like to have seen how our... You know, our car would have stood up to that. And then they're like, hang on a minute, there's another car. We've got a car. And behind <laughs> the whole but, but, time through, all this <laughs> jeopardy's been got from only having one car. And then they're like, oh, BT Dubs. <laughs> you know, the one that was so shit, it shorted out during a rainstorm. Yeah, but, yeah um, the electric car they brought to a tropical island during the rainy season and drove through a puddle. End. Yeah. And Thorne's like, if only we'd put circuit breakers in it. Hang on a minute. Eddie put circuit breakers in at the last minute. Dave, he's helping from beyond the grave now. Oh, Eddie, what a legend. What a legend. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it'll still work. You just need to flick the breakers. So, I mean, a bit of a, yeah, bit, bit, bit easy. But anyway, Sarah, yeah. Sarah jumps on the, the bike, which has survived the, um, the raptor kick him, and, um, and heads off. On she goes. Um, she sees some raptors and clicks off the radio. The, the radio. So we're at this point where we sort of they have this nervous wait in the in the gas station to see if she's going to radio again. And twenty minutes later, she does. She's at the car. Love it. It's all going to work out, Dave. I'm sure what it's could going go to be wrong? fine. Well, well, Matt, nothing. No, that's the message of the Jurassic Park series. Nothing yeah. could possibly go wrong. Yeah, nothing's going to go wrong now. Let's just turn the page to the next chapter, Dodgson. <laughs> oh yeah yeah yep <laughs> he's still in that shed he wakes up he's like oh <laughs> what did i drink last night <laughs> yeah, yeah it is isn't it <laughs> he's like oh i need to drink something he's a water staggers out silent morning goes to the stream he's drinking and then he finds the remains of diego's pack there's a radio still inside. And he hears a voice, Sarah. Doc, I'm at the car. And he, he does <laughs> it says he smiles and says and thinks, so there's a car. And I just imagine that like, you know, the Grinch smile. <laughs> <laughs> Drumming those Dr. Seuss hairy fingers together in that way. <laughs> uh Sarah's at the car and the 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 Pachys, the Pachycephalosaurus turn up. Fryer Tucks, the ones that did for uh, King's car last time. Um, so she has to climb. She has to 
what does she do? Oh, yeah. Oh, she climbs so, up, is it underneath the car? Yeah, she, yeah. So, she, so, so, so she, she gets there. The, she throws more bravery, Matt, than you and I had ever shown in the face of a field full of cows and manages to hide underneath the car. Yeah, so she walks through them. Because she she's like, thinks about walking through them and she's like, well, if these are wildebeest, it'd be fine. If they're American buffalo, I'd be cautious. If they're African buffalo, I wouldn't even think about it. I wouldn't touch so, them, yeah. I'll just have to guess. So she, she she takes her chances and gets him. Gets under she just about gets under the car. Oh no, she she climbs a tree first. She sort of dangles oh, yeah. over it. And yeah. then one of the packies butts the tree and she falls into the car. <laughs> Manages to get under. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Kelly's logged onto the system. There's a little terminal in the um in the building. So she goes on the system. So she can um she can see like a lot of pictures. It's funny this, like she logs onto the screen and all these different pictures turn up. She decides which one to hit. And one of the pictures is a picture of a dinosaur. And I'm sorry, but I'd have just hit that every yeah. time. Hit the dinosaur. <laughs> Anytime I'm presented with an unclear user interface involving a dinosaur, I'm choosing the dinosaur. <clears throat> That's how yeah. Yoshi came to be my favourite character on Mario Kart, by the way. <laughs> Not true. But she, she, she finds the video security so she can see the, the island again. Um... Harding's under the car. She flicks the circuit breakers. It works. Great. Bosh. But she's stuck because of these packies all around her. Um, then the Pachycephalosauruses all run. And she's like, oh, that's a stroke of luck. <laughs> and then, <laughs> what, what good fortune. Then a radio from Doc Thorne. Stay under the car. <laughs> <laughs> you, why? You, you don't want to know. <laughs> because... The world's greatest predator is about to turn up. Uh, it's Lou from Biosyn. He <laughs> runs out. <laughs> a, a. <laughs> he, he runs out and uh, slides up beneath the car as well because he's being followed by the second greatest predator in, <laughs> in history. Um, so he, he slides under the car as the Tyrannosaur comes out of the into the road yeah um and dodgson's response when he sees that sarah's under the car as well is i thought i finished you off on the boat <laughs> just the f- like <laughs> this is not a good moment to be choosing extra antagonists surely surely <laughs> the smart move would be like look i realize that we've got stuff to talk about but can we do it after neither of us have been eaten by this dinosaur <laughs> like yeah. appeal to the human decency of the woman you know which is clearly far more but obviously dodgson would no more appeal to the human decency of a woman than two fish would suggest a running race like he just doesn't understand the idea of human decency <laughs> Yeah, so in response, Sarah thinks, fuck this guy, and she wedges herself against the wheel and basically pushes Dodgen out into the, into the dinosaur. Now, There's a, go on. I'm not saying this doesn't have a certain sort of schadenfreude joy to it, because this guy has been responsible directly or indirectly for the deaths of tens and tens and tens of characters over two novels. Mm. But there is a little bit of me that's like kind of, oh, Sarah, you could have been, you could have been better than him. You didn't have to sink down to his level. Yeah, but but yeah. sink she does. Oh gosh, and this, the description of it is horrifying. I love his little high pitched, um, like, what are you doing? <laughs> she starts pushing him out. And, and also, you've set the terms of this engagement, and I am winning according to them. Lewis is what's going on here. Now, fuck <laughs> off. And also, I just imagine the Tyrannosaurus reaction. 
is he just sees these little calves start peeping out from under the car. <laughs> the whole leg's like... <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. Just that slightly cocks the head to the side. <laughs> so um, he, his, his legs get pushed out, and then he disappears as the Tyrannosaur bends down and pulls him out. But it doesn't bite down, just gets him in its jaws, and then wanders off. Uh, I'm sure some. I'm sure something good will occur as a result of that. Yeah, there's this weird little bit, isn't it, where it's just it describes Dodgson sort of lying in its jaws, like just waiting for them to come down, and they don't. And that is yeah. that is really horrific. That is horrible. Mm. Um, back to the store, daylight. Mm. Um, so Sarah's in the car now. She's heading down to the helicopter to try and get it to wait. Um, she, but she she doesn't make it in time. What? What? No, no, what? no. That's not the rules. No, 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 yeah. no, no. <laughs> yeah. So she drives drive down. Helicopters leave him. Um, and Levine, uh, this is where it's sort of flashing back and forth here from the... Um, from the gas station again, because Levine's saying it's daylight, that means territories change. He's like, shit, we've got to get Sarah back here, we've got to get out of here, we've got to get out of here. Um, In the meantime, Kelly has discovered there's a boathouse on the island, so no problem. um, The helicopter's flown off, there's another way out, but can they find it? Um, Sarah sees the T-Rex carrying Dogson away as she heads back, and Levine's still going, we've got to get out, we've got to get out, and and no one else can understand why he's so worried. And this is, I really like this. A lot of these things, the best part of the book, beyond the theories, are things that almost seem to be written for a film scene. Yeah. And oh, this is one pal- of them. Palpably. Like, this is absolutely yeah. Crichton getting his punch in first. He's like, right, Spielberg's directing it. He lost all that great stuff in the Raptor, Raptor nest at the end of the last one. Wanker. <laughs> I'm going to write him scenes that he just has to lift. <laughs> and in the end, he didn't lift most of these anyway. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> I know because he's Steven fucking Spielberg. He's like, I don't. I think I'll probably direct my own film. Cheers, anyway, Mike. <laughs> but anyway, Levine's saying, "Look, it's just a shack. Look at it. Look at this door. It's just." And he bangs on it. The door bursts open, and it's a raptor standing there. He's like, "Hey guys, what's going on?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, hi guys. <laughs> oh, it could. It could be actually. I'd imagine he, he bangs on the door and says, look, it's just wood. And they all go, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, a Way Out is the next uh, chapter. So Levine and Thorne close the door and hold it shut. Suddenly, raptors are everywhere, banging against the building, trying to get in. Um, Kelly panics she's trying to press in all the buttons suddenly this cube starts rotating in some weird sort of 3d no idea why um i'm not sure what the point of the 3d rotating cube would ever have been on this island (laughs) on this system me neither i'll tell you (laughs) also um i've lifted this from one of the reviews we were sent in but quite why this um this gas station and convenience store includes little sort of souvenirs of Jurassic Park when there's like, do you never get any visitors here? I'm not sure either, but anyway. Um, yeah, that is odd, isn't it? Hey guys, you know that secret place that you're working at the moment, subject to terrifying universe-ending non-disclosure agreements? 
buy the key ring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I worked in this place. I can't tell you about it. That's like selling James Bond a fucking MI6 inter office volleyball team t shirt. <laughs> Lads on tour, 1968. No. Yeah. <laughs> now, Arby's tapping on Kelly's back, saying, "You got to figure it out. You got to figure it out. This is the key. We need to find out. You know how to get this machine working." And she remembers Sarah's words, saying, "Most of what people will tell you is wrong." And she mm. thinks, "Yeah, it isn't important." And she looks down and sees there are cables running into the into the floor. There's a tunnel, Dave. <gasps> That's how they're getting out. Love it. I, again, I, like a, a comedy, a, a, an action set piece that would have been comedy several years later, since you could now probably do that sort of graphical processing on your phone. But <laughs> at the time, bloody impressive. Bloody impressive. Yeah. So they, they get out through the tunnel, including Malcolm with his broken leg, quickly enough to be out before... The raptors all crash through, but all the people are gone. Uh, it was, like I've ripped it out of this scene, but actually, like I, di- I did quite like the the sense of literally the wooden building being torn apart around them as they try and find a way out. Like that was a really yeah, good. Yeah, that's like that's a, that is a zombie movie set piece done absolutely to perfection. Yeah, no, it's a it's a good it's a thrilling read that bit. Um, exit is the next chapter. We're back with Lou from Biosyn for the final time. Um, <laughs> I wonder what's going to happen to him in a chapter called Exit. <laughs> he lands in the dinosaur, in the Tyrannosaur nest. He's basically baby food. He sees his three infants, one with a little al- aluminium leg. Um, he sort of sits there and he's like, right, I'm going to get away. Every time he stands up, he's knocked over um, by the, by the Tyrannosaur. Yeah. Eventually, the Tyrannosaur bites his leg so he can't move, and then he sort of lies there helplessly as the babies feed. And he sees one eating his cheek, which is particularly horrific. Yeah, that's horrible. Nobody Mm. needs that. Gosh. Yeah. Seventh configurator. Well, that's it. A moment for Lou from Biosyn. Do we we take a moment for Lou from Biosyn? (laughs) (laughs) Lewis Dogson. Okay. Mm. Yeah, fuck fuck that guy. Fuck that Um, guy. Seventh iteration, I think it's something along the lines of everyone gets out. Um, departure is next. Uh, so they're on the boat. They, <laughs> that was quite get, a long get... pause. I thought, I thought the dinosaur mafia had got you there, Matt. That was quite terrifying. <laughs> I was just trying to. I'll tell you why there was a pause. I couldn't quite believe that it goes from. They just crawl through this tunnel to they're on the boat, but that is exactly what happens. There's no problem so- getting to the boat. Bloody hell. Because of the boroughs. So, so not only was the film marked, in a way we'll come to next week, I'm sure, not only was the film marked by quite stunning gaps in the narrative, so was the fucking book. The film had characters just disappearing at will halfway through. And the, mm. <laughs> the book's got... Okay, so they crawled out in great detail. They, we've, done the, we've done the chameleon Tobias Funkisaurus sequence. We've done the zombie apocalypse sequence. We've done the magic clock crawling out through a crawlway sequence. They're going to have any trouble getting out of the tunnel and into the boat? Nah, fuck it. <laughs> no, Done. No, they're just, they're there. the boat's fine. The boathouses <laughs> are locked. They get in it. They leave. Um, so they, they're floating off on the boat. And Levine's saying, well, we've still got the cameras, so we can still observe this perfect lost world. And Malcolm's like, come on. It's not a lost word. He's finally realised what everyone else realised at the very start. Or maybe he already, yeah. always knew and just didn't tell anyone. That seems to be his bag. That's um, Malcolm's bag. 
He's like, yeah, it's not a lost world because it's not real. There are too many predators. Um, and it's all down to prions. So basically, kind of to do with mad cow disease, they, yeah. they fed the dinosaurs ground-up sheep, um, which created a degenerative, degenerative disease, which means the dinosaurs die early. Mm. Um, which is put forward as the explanation for everything. Which... Eh doesn't work but anyway um <laughs> because look give me give me the give me the breakdown on that okay so yeah that that explains why there aren't any fully adult dinosaurs it doesn't mm. explain why there's such a fast turnover to support so many predators that's yeah that's true because they unless they're all breeding like rabbits from the moment they're born like they would have to be they'd have to be born pregnant basically for that actually to result in a larger number of dinosaurs over time right yeah like it doesn't matter how how early they die it matters how many kids they have before they die right yeah unless they're all yeah. breeding like rabbits and growing at a ridiculously fast rate yeah so Which really what Mad this is is Cow sort of the, the island of dr moreau yeah exactly like you don't <laughs> you, like mad cow disease doesn't work backwards in your life to make you kind of astonishingly fertile like that's no. that's not the way it goes and also it doesn't explain why these apatosaur carcasses turned up at the nest well i mean we can put that one down to a cardo can't we <laughs> yeah. rat, raptors get on well, the phone i need another apatosaur i just can't get enough of them they're like crack <laughs> yeah. just drop them off at yeah. the bend in the river if i'm not about yeah it's hello fresh they just go and deliver hello fresh apatosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> that but that that is about as believable as prions made it happen unless the sort of the mad cow disease makes the apatosaurs at a certain age decide to go for a wander over to the raptor nest to commit like <laughs> to commit apatosaur suicide i don't know it just yeah none of this really makes still makes any sense as far as i can tell they set up a lot of mysteries here haven't they and i just don't think prions explains hardly any of them i mean yeah. i suppose you could you could explain the the quick growth through um i think henry Wu says in the first book that they've engineered the dinosaurs to grow more quickly but that isn't mentioned in this book, from what I can tell. Certainly isn't mentioned at the end as part of the prions explanation. <laughs> it all just seems a bit slapdash. It, it absolutely is slapdash, because you know what, Mike? You're not George R. R. Martin, okay? George can get away with asking us to remember a plot point from four novels back as an absolutely pivotal moment of an action scene. You No, you don't get to do that. No. No. Bad Michael Crichton. Bad. <laughs> Um, the the sort of the prions mad cow disease thing is uh, of particular concern to Levine because he's like I was bitten by one um, I'm worried and Sarah says oh it's probably okay um, I don't know what qualification she has to say that but <laughs> but she's a scientist she's a scientist something 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 assertion and it'll be fine yeah we go back round to Malcolm's extinction theory about behaviour as well and he puts forward the idea that humans might be the next extinction event and thorn then says yeah but these are all just theories it's not real um to the kids and you know don't worry too much about it he says you know look at the sky feel the boat beneath your feet you know these things are real everything else is just fantasies and that's the end of the book a nice ending line even if the sort of the general chapter for me is a bit of a letdown because a lot of the mysteries aren't really solved Yes, plot-wise, for the whole novel, it's 
rubbish. Almost as if a chapter dropped out of the the manuscript on the way to the publishers. Um, <laughs> it is a really nice image to end on. You know, this is the world and the world is real. And I like the sentiment, but I actually think thematically it dramatically undercuts everything he's asked us to care about for the whole of the rest of the book, which is that the world is comprehensible through the application of scientific method to the creation of theory, confirmation through data. And then at the end, he's like, none of it matters. Look at the sky. Lovely, innit? Anyway, see you later. <laughs> Cash me <Yeah>. check. <laughs> like... I'm, I'm, I might be with you, Mike, to be honest with you, except for the fact that you've asked me to care far more about science than this for the preceding 400 pages. Yeah, yeah. We had a bit of a warning sign with bad things coming threes earlier in the book. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is abs- that's very true. So ends The Lost World, Dave. Until is, we get Matt. the film. Yeah. Until, until we get the film. A couple of things about it before we go into the reviews oh, that yeah. um, I've seen. One is that there is a there is a story. It's generally generally sort of accepted amongst a lot of fans of Jurassic Park that Michael Crichton wrote this book um, on the sort of request of Steven Spielberg after the first film. Yes, yeah. Spielberg said, "I want to do another film. Can you write a book for me to base it on?" And this is what we ended up with. And. <laughs> From... He can't have liked it very much, can he? There's almost nothing <laughs> in it apart from a couple of the set pieces. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, from sort of the way the book's written, that does lay sort of... It, it does make sense in that in that way. It, it is mm. the kind of book that you'd imagine would be written because he wants to make a film. It's a lot of, lot of sort of set pieces and then just yeah, some theory around it. Yeah. Um, and I think there's one, one... As I've said, one element of that that really works is the sort of mastery of physical space around the high hide and how he, that whole how that whole drama plays out I think is really good and actually really cinematic so to that mm. extent I think it worked um, I do think it's a bit weird the way a storyteller and writer as experienced as Michael Crichton sort of didn't notice that two page monologues on scientific theory were going to be hard enough to translate in the mind of the reader never mind in the camera and so they mm. just didn't make it into the next film which is sad because in the first Jurassic Park, he boiled down that stuff, you know, life finds a way, became mm. a really important theme of the film precisely because he managed to get it into a single line. Mm. And and then somehow that didn't happen in this and he thought that what, what the public wanted out of this world-beating smash that involved real dinosaurs in front of your eyes, what they wanted was more scientific pontification. And... <laughs> As we've noted, he didn't land it terribly well at the end of the book there. But it's also just a bit, mal- uh, you know, people weren't coming to you for it, Mike. You know what I mean? Like mm. that's not what that's not what you want. Hmm. Well, okay. Let's see before we give our sort of final verdict on the book. Let's see what other people from around ah, the yes. internet have said. Yes. Yes. Um, firstly, a welcome return for friend of the podcast Max. Hello, Max. Um, who is back and he's bad. <laughs> well, he's back. I don't, I don't know if he's bad. Um, and he's given us a uh, a review. He basically gave us a review in two parts because the first part was sort of he'd he'd read this when he was fifteen, yeah, originally, and he felt like um, sort of it was basically like we just said a novel written to become a film, and there was some sort of lame proto Dan Brown stuff in it, which we yeah. mentioned earlier on. Yeah. Um, now. 
he's yeah well after finishing it he said he'd give it a three and three and a half star rating out of five he says um as a single unit of jurassic park it was fine it had some cool action set pieces and was at worst complete competently written <laughs> but <laughs> this is at worst completely written i was like <laughs> and at worst it ended it ended can yeah. can confirm <laughs> No, so Max says, yeah, it was fine. It had some cool acting set pieces. It was, at, at worst, competently written. But as a sequel to Jurassic Park 1, I felt like it wasn't great. I stand by my 15-year-old assertion that it was a sequel to the first film, an attempt at novelization of a then-made second film. Um, but in a way, that's kind of an interesting artifact, I suppose. And yeah. then he says, yeah, he notices sort of a... A, a definite sort of influence on story, uh, mm. people like Dan Bryan where there's like here's a story and then just dump loads of theory in the middle of it yeah um, yeah and th- uh, that is painfully good point actually that is hard to argue with and also makes me like the book a lot less if it led to the friggin Da Vinci Code um, <laughs> if this is part of the bloodline because they're only like five, five years apart aren't they um, yeah. in publication but um yeah, it's, I, and I agree also that it's an interesting... It's like a pre-novelisation. Because um, it's not a novelisation of the of the film because it it was kind of designed almost as a treatment for the film. Like it was a, yeah, do this and this and this and this and this and then in between I'll talk about science. And mm. um, as I say, I could have done with that being more condensed and more kind of thematically coherent. Mm. But again, that, for me, the real disappointment there is that Spielberg couldn't do with this what he did with the first Jurassic Park. Um, and you know, really boil it down into great set pieces strung together with really interesting themes done in the camera. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I still like it more than I like the Da Vinci Code, but maybe that is because the Da Vinci Code, like I, as a sort of vaguely, I'm more humanities aligned than I am science knowledgeable you know what I mean like and so the Da Vinci Code is treading on my turf and I'm not having it whereas <laughs> I'm not a scientist so I can't really get as pissed about the lost world and therefore I can sort of just enjoy it for what flow it does have but I could totally yeah. see how if you were a science specialist you'd be like what what yeah what if you do if you do want to hear us absolutely tear a book apart then do do go and listen to our <laughs> <Dude>. four-part <laughs> special on Dan Brown Da Vinci Code two history graduates take on Dan Brown and his Wikipedia access. Oh, one of the worst books I've ever read. Oh, by some distance. (laughs) Um, Next up, we've got um, Abby, um, who's uh, sent us in. She sent us in a comprehensive review, so I'll I'll read some of the highlights from it. It was really good stuff. Um, Overall, she gives it four stars. Um, But she... And she she really she she says she really really enjoys it. It's one of her favourite books, mm. but she does have some issues with it. Um, and I've picked out five of them here. Uh, one: How the hell is Malcolm still alive? I yeah. could easily be convinced yeah. that the lost. <laughs> I could easily be convinced that the lost world could just be a coma-induced fever dream brought forth <laughs> by Malcolm's injuries in the first. That would novel. be amazing. That <laughs> would be completely idea. amazing. Malcolm and morphine is literally just the entire story of the book. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, number two, Levine. He's a total arsehole. Yet these, <laughs> yet there are these, yet there are these two. Abby's kids a clear who, thinker for me. Sorry, I'm I'm absolutely <laughs> on board with both these theories so far. Yeah, he's a total asshole. Yet there are these two kids who are so far up his ass that they stow away in order to tag along on this hella dangerous trip. 
Can someone tell me what it is about Levine that's so compelling that children would illegally hide away and cross borders to help him on his expedition? <laughs> Solid point. But, it's, but that's the thing, isn't it, though? It's not Levine that's compelling. It's science. And, <laughs> you know, and we're, as we were in the first novel, we are expected to allow that to drive an awful lot of outcomes. Certainly for a novel which ends with the line, no, no science matters, just look at the sky. Like, that's... <laughs> Again, Michael, kind of turning round right at the end of the game and shooting yourself in the nose there, aren't you? I think there's a problem with Arby and Kelly in general anyway. I'm not really sure what the point of them is because they, they implausibly get to the island. They don't mm. really do much on the island other than mm. be a little bit of... like Other than be a reason for people to chase around off the dinosaurs towards the end. Yeah. Um, and then they, like... They, they, it ends. I mean, I think it feels like they're just there basically... So there are some kids in it, so it, so it's interesting for kids again. Um, uh, yeah, I mean that's definitely a part of it, and like I don't, the, I mean, insofar as that's commercially driven, yeah, obviously, bleh, like that's uninspiring and, and fairly cynical. But hmm. to the extent that it shows a teenage female character having a conversation with a senior and respected female character, who's the only person in the book that, like, apart well, Thorn does as well, I suppose, but gets shit done unambiguously mm. get shit done is in charge of her own actions and so on um i think it's i think it's good that they're there um but i i absolutely take the point that in terms of what they add they are just basically little little adults um yeah. except when somebody needs a compelling reason to do something in which case they become helpless cage entrapped plot drivers instead um mm. so yeah so i don't i like Put it this way, I would happily put this book in the hands of my 13-year-old daughter if I had one and say, here's a couple of, here's a couple of interesting presentations of women doing cool stuff. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with that. But, hmm. uh, but also, also, a point here, I noticed that this is, these are the second two characters out of this main core group of five surviving characters. Um, so that you've now written off three of them as essentially pointless to the plot. So is this like is this actually the Thorn and Sarah Harding show? Is that what's going on here? <laughs> well, well, this sticking sticking with Arby and Kelly, she says, um, "What would the consequences? Well, hang on, what kind of consequences would these grown ass men and Sarah face once these kids are back on yeah! our <laughs> True, <laughs> even if fact, even, <laughs> even if Arby and Kelly left of their own volition, I imagine there'd still be potential kidnapping charges if nothing else. And yeah. this is funny because." Um, also, uh, my brother was has been watching Jurassic Park three recently, and he messaged me about a similar thing, saying the moment when at the end William H Macy's character says, "Let's all go home," and he's like, after the shit he's got up to getting the people to this island, the only place he's going is jail. And he gets back. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely true, and that kind of leads to the really oh, it's just the horrible fact that when they like because all the all like in terms of like quote unquote what they've done you know they've been fairly slapdash in allowing two children to leave of their own accord into the night but you know they're not actually technically in loco parentis so whatever um yeah. but then but and so the kids are responsible for stowing away and arriving there so those things you could kind of argue your way out of i think if you were jack thorn um but but then putting them in harm's way, giving them like again neurotoxin loaded air rifles to shoot at dinosaurs. 
<laughs> like you know, putting them in a, putting them in a high hide above a game trail, which is another way of saying suspending them above the place where all the carnivores walk. Um, you know, like all of those things. So what they're going to have to do when they're flying back is just sort of have a little chat and try and get them not to talk about it. At which point, these characters become truly and completely reprehensible. Like it, like <laughs> I understand why you end the novel with them breathing in the sea air and really trying hard not to think about the consequences of what's happened on the <laughs> island. Because for real, when they get back, they are either asking children to lie about these really traumatic events or they're going to get locked up. Those are the two options at hand. Um, Abby's next point is about Lou Dogson. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not sure about this one. It's a bit controversial. She says, I hate him more than I hate Levine. Fair enough. The reason why is Dodgson does absolutely nothing to further the plot in this novel. Having our main characters on the island is more than enough to have a steady plot. Um, she's basically saying he's not needed and mm. I actually quite like having him on because A, it gives you a chance to see some other people killed by dinosaurs um, <laughs> which, B, is, which is what we're uh, here for let's be real yeah. but I just love his sort of comedy villain like nature yeah. as well it just uh, I, I, some of the, some of my favourite passages of the book actually involve him yeah. um, especially the bit where he's like driving away from the Tyrannosaur and King's thinking of throwing the egg out the window and he's trying to convince him that he's got King's got more to fear from me, Lou Dogson, <laughs> than these two Tyrannosaurs chasing him. <laughs> yeah, it's, to me, it's a good cartoon. Um, and it does give you something else. I think it would get pretty thin if you didn't have this parallel, this B-plot. Not that it matters at all. Not that they actually interact in the slightest little fucking bit at all uh, with each other. Uh, like, in terms of affecting what happens in each other's stories. Like, this could just as easily be a, you know, it's very much a B-plot. Um, mm. It's hard to describe him as a primary antagonist. In a sense, the primary antagonist of the novel is human hubris. Or a mm. big tyrannosaur. One of the two. Um <laughs> But yeah, I, so I agree. I think Dodgson could be taken out without affecting the A plot, but then you would have a pretty thin A plot. I think is my opinion. Yeah. Um, finally, she says uh, this: the ending felt so anticlimactic and rushed. Oh, there's a boat. Oh, there's a boat. Let's sail away. Yeah, like the resolution, and I felt Absolutely. it got from the first book, and I felt underwhelmed by this ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree with that. As yeah. Well. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she sort of wraps up. That said, this book is in my top five for adult fiction because who can resist dinosaurs? Uh, where book one is fun and violent and scary, the lost world is more solemn and serious and focused on nature, how mm. these creatures act in their natural habitat. Yeah. And there you go. Yeah, true. Thanks very much, and Abby. I think that, was, that, was, that was great. Very, yeah. very flipping much. Yeah, really love that. And um, and I think it's a really good point. And I think, I think we've had similar reading experiences where like I've read it and it's actually the extent to which it has shaped how I think about things, even though I can now look back at this age and be like, hmm, not too sure I was making, you know, I was, I'm, I'm entirely along with this. Um, but it does mean that it has, it's, there's a place of fondness in my heart, even though we've done a fairly good deconstruction job on it. I'm still like, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Some more reviews. Shall we take up a, shall we take in a couple of five starers? Let's do that. Let's, let's get five um, stars. So Brooke, Brooke gave it five stars. She said, when I devour a 400-plus page book in less than two days, I feel like that speaks to something about the author's ability to reel in the reader. Yeah. Um, which is a good point. Yeah, you can't can fly through that. this book. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Sarah. <laughs> Sarah gave it five stars. I would Sarah H in San Diego, California, <laughs> well, would like to correct the following factual points in the novel. <laughs> the reason she liked it so much was the character of Sarah Harding. Um, <laughs> this is Sarah Harding is a real person. Never mind. Never mind. Michael Crichton's favourite natural therapy genius, as it, that the book's dedicated to. Sarah Harding is for real. <laughs> she says um, Sarah Harding's basically Wonder Woman I want to be Sarah Harding when I grow up she's an example of a female heroine done right I'm sad she was written by a man but Crichton did her justice she's strong, brave, she knows what she wants and how to get it, she's not a damsel in distress and at no point in this novel does she require rescuing from the men in fact they quite frequently need rescuing by her they, uh, and that scene with Dodgson absolutely priceless her relationship with Kelly was perfect, and I adored her for it. Kelly becomes a little Sarah Harding in her own right by the end. True. So someone who really loved that character. True. And th- this is my point about, like, I definitely want my daughter to read this when she gets to, when she gets to the age. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not 100% sure that it matters enormously that this was written by a man. I would say that it's a good thing when male authors write strong female characters like this not the only mm. people ideally of course who should be writing female characters but I think this is particularly for its era I feel like that's a big a big deal I'm not sure I wholly agree with that um, mm. but absolutely 103% Sarah Harding MVP character in this novel and marvellous mm. Lorenzo gave it 5 stars and wait for this as the review continues. The Lost World by Michael Crichton provides a reader with an unforgettable experience when suspense is key. You'll not be able to put it down. Um, You'll be left in a state of confusion when Dr. Levine's assistance is torn apart by an animal whose claws only part seen and left in a state of wonder when you find out he was killed by a pair of Carnotauruses. (laughs) 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 You have the ability to change colour and texture. Um, And then he finally says, Michael Crichton has a... I what? literally just got that. I always just thought that that attack scene was purposefully underwritten for reasons that aren't clear to me. But no, it's supposed to be a terrifying claw swooping out from the dark forest, unknown and unseen yet deadly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I feel like I have to put my hands in the air at this point. I have read this book nearly ten times and I didn't get that at a single point. Hence my, <laughs> my consistent scorn on the idea that these were Carnotauri. Oh, dear. <laughs> Oh, oh dear. I, have, Lorenzo, I now have shame. Lorenzo finishes Disregard all Crichton. of my opinions. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> Michael Crichton has a way of leaving his audience in suspense by quickly cutting to other characters, keeping the readers glued to his books. Um, which is, yeah, that is a technique that we, we've said really like, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, we've got a... Cameron gave it five stars, and he does a fantastic, like pared down pluses and minuses pluses Malcolm again Doc and Eddie Lewis Dodgson chocolate bars minuses Carnotauruses underutilised there's a lot of love for the Carnos <laughs> there are and I'm on board I'm now on board I'm now I'm, 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 I'm a beaten man and I acknowledge I was wrong Carnotauruses FT well, W Part of the reason you didn't notice, notice they're in there is they were criminally underused, considering yeah. how cool it. Maybe they were just a bit overpowered. It was like, actually, if I use these, they're just yeah. going to kill everyone. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll turn them into shuffling Arkwright dinosaurs instead. <laughs> um, let's move into some two stars. Uh, Peter gave it two stars. 
and he says, The Lost World is not a very good book. The story is a slog to start with, and the characters are weak. So weak that if any of them had actually been eaten by the constantly hungry dinosaurs, I would have been like, shrug. <laughs> if your emotional response to a film could be summed up by a single emoji, I think perhaps that, that, that book has not done what you hoped it would do. Yeah. The characters aren't the greatest, if we're honest, are they? Um, we've got to sort of accept that. Although there are one yeah. or two. That I actually thought Levine was actually quite well sketched in the end. Really? Um, I feel, I, he, was, he was good for the first four-fifths of the book. And then... Yeah, but then after that, like like you I say, he what? just he fell into a multi-dimensional portal of character multiplicity, and I just <laughs> yeah. stopped engaging with him. Yeah, I think he's interesting because he has a lot of different reactions. But now I think about it, yeah, he's, he basically just has a massive bout of multiple personality disorder towards the end of the book, doesn't he? Yeah, he just yeah. keeps changing like character, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he seems like a more sort of extreme, unhinged Gennaro in many places. Yeah. Um, Tina, two stars. I was jurassically bored. I only finished this due to sheer determination. You think well, that's bad, Dave? The one stars are on the way. Oh, gosh. Here we go, here we go, here we go. <laughs> Lady gave it one star. Malcolm, terrorised beyond belief by his experiences on Isla Nubla, decides that once is never enough and it's high time he stopped by at another island. <laughs> <laughs> hard, hard to argue with that yeah that is pretty good to be honest um, Alex uh, Alex has got an issue with Dodgson uh, similar to Abby but for a very different reason and um, this is quite hard to argue with so just listen, listen to this and tell me what you think Dodgson who figured out InGen was cloning dinosaurs in the first novel, novel apparently didn't have enough resources on his own to find the island Honestly, why is he still chasing after a defunct company's assets? In the first novel, it's stated that nothing is keeping Biasin from cloning their own dinosaurs other than a five-year head start for InGem. It's been five years now. (laughs) (laughs) All Hammond had to do in the first novel was throw piles of money at a Stanford graduate and he got herds of dinosaurs. Why isn't Biasin trying to clone their own dinosaurs now instead of trying to continue to steal eggs from this island? (laughs) That is undeniable. That is amazing. <laughs> uh, Bella gave it one star. She's got a problem with the end, similar to what we've said already. But um, mm. she says, in the end, they all have mad cow disease, but it's okay because even though nobody knows what's going to happen if a dinosaur with mad cow disease bites you, let's all sail into the sunset and yeah, be assured because Sarah said a mild case of encephalitis would most likely occur. Yeah, mild because she's an expert at what? Oh, right, hyenas in Africa. <laughs> and that's why this book gets two stars. <laughs> Again, very hard to argue with. Also, I am I am not a doctor either, but encephalitis. I when I first read this, I'd never lived abroad, and I just sort of skipped past it. Encephalitis is fairly terrifying. It's swelling of the brain, and when your brain mm. swells, it breaks bits of it, and when it shrinks back, you've lost those bits for good. So, like, you'll have a fairly mild case of encephalitis. Is like you may re- retain use of one of your limbs, as far as I understand it. Now, possibly mm. I am overinterpreting. Again, I am not a doctor. But I definitely wouldn't be chucking that out in a kind of a dash fine. You'll probably retain, you know, 25% of your limb use. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, sorry, and apologies for Bella for throwing in her two-star review, the one-stars. Um, Williams is definitely one-star. Uh, his big problem is with the resurrection of Ian Malcolm. He says, The Lost World suffers from two, from two things. Hang on a minute. <coughs> oh, yeah, he's got two good points, actually. So two things. Firstly, um, if you've ever read Jurassic Park, then you know that the Lost World's protagonist, Ian Malcolm, is, in fact, dead. That's right, he died in Jurassic Park, but since they couldn't convince Sam Neill to return for the film, Crichton rewrote history so Malcolm somehow survived. Never mind that he died. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, he, yeah, yeah, solid. He basically, he basically writes, how dead? They verified he was dead, and then the whole island was napalmed with his corpse on it. <laughs> and he still came back. Um the second problem is a bit of a wider thing. Every single important person in the Lost World is some sort of certifiable genius. Malcolm's two tag-along kids are both gifted. Everyone who comes along is some form of expert in some field. The only people who aren't talented, gifted or extremely smart are the regular folks and they'll end up being the bad guys who get eaten. Seriously, I'm not kidding. The good guys are all geniuses and the bad guys are not. Naturally, the geniuses survive because the geniuses, the bad guys die because they're not so smart. I disagree with finish, that. He finishes I, I, with... Let, let, let him finish his fight, because this is a sorry. good final word. The Lost World is Crichton's way of effectively kissing his own ass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Dave that line... I don't, okay, well, first of all, I think we could warn that and say Michael Crichton's entire career as a plot creator is a way of kissing his own ass. <laughs> Firstly, he would love to believe that he is a world-beating scientific intellect, um, and I don't think that's deniable. However... What is it? The baddies are normal people and the goodies are really smart people. The whole point of the kids is, well, okay, one of them's super smart, one of them's just a fairly gifted teenager, like, of whom there are millions. Secondly, Eddie is the most natural, the most kind of quote-unquote normal character in the entire freaking book, and he's a goodie. Hmm. Thirdly, the three antagonists, insofar as we have them and they're not dinosaur-shaped on the island, are reading from top to bottom, right? <laughs> Lewis Dodgson, who is acknowledged is a, a world-leading scientific researcher, even though he is a complete bastard and prefers to kill people to get his data. Howard, what's his name? I forgot king. his name. Howard, Howard <laughs> King, not brackets, definitely not the king, brackets. <laughs> um, uh, who is literally one of the most gifted researchers of his generation until he hits 30, right? And mm. George Basilton, who's the fucking published in Nature journal Regis <laughs> Professor of Biology at Stanford Pissing University. I'm sorry, <laughs> that is not a valid objection to make. Absolutely not. Don't your last yeah. line I'm on board with, but the bit before that, what? Served. I think that is that is good. I think that is fairly <laughs> comprehensive. Okay. Um Ladies review. Uh, ladies got a problem with um, Levine and his. I, I'm with uh, you. I'm with you, lady. I'm already on board with this. <laughs> He's got Levine and his shocking disregard for um, keeping his candy bar wrappers to himself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Is Lady a raptor by any chance? Is Lady an eco raptor? L lady says. The raptors are angry because you dropped candy bar wrappings out of an utterly abhorrent indifference to the environment. <laughs> We're not changing anything because we want to study everything objectively. Just doesn't fly when you're hurling candy bar wrappers around like a deranged Nestle Zeus. <laughs> <laughs> 
first of all, hats off, standing ovation for the phrase deranged Nestle Zeus. <laughs> Secondly, I am with you, and I think, did we say this when that happened as well? Just like the very idea of being all kind of like prissily clean about the whole kind of like, oh, definitely, you know, you know, take only photos, leave only footprints thing. <laughs> like for the purposes of scientific rigor. And then, yeah, well, what, Mars bar wrapper? No, just drop that, just get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. He, he goes on to say, and how the fuck did Levine, Levine learn so much about the dinosaurs in less than three days of fighting for his life on the island? About the same <laughs> way Malcolm survived being bombed on the last island, I'd wager. <laughs> <laughs> okay, again, great last line. Um, I'm pretty sure Levine's a paleontologist, though. So, um, <laughs> yeah. again, slight hole in the argument there, I feel. <laughs> Um, and I'll just, just round off a couple of five-star reviews. Um, Linda said, while this was a fantastic read, as a biology teacher, um, evolution and dinosaurs are one of my favourite subjects, and this book did not disappoint. So Solid. one, th- two thumbs up from the experts there. Great. And uh, the final one that I quite liked, Savutha, uh, gave it five stars. One line, simply, yep, I love dinosaurs. and that Zavutha is where we come in that exactly there I think is where we started with this book anyway Uh, what about you Dave well it's been interesting this it doesn't stand up to a close reading as much as I had expected it to and it has been a little bit sad to lose the sense of of, um, affection I had for it particularly because you know as I say it was hugely formative of a lot of the things that I think and, and you know kind of bolstered certain things I already thought about the world and it's kind of sad to have to look back and realise that that was nonsense you know I read an interview the other day with somebody who essentially acquired the kind of first stages of their spiritual belief set by reading the Da Vinci Code and they are also quite embarrassed by that and I'm not sure if I should be that embarrassed but I can't off the top of my head think of an argument why I shouldn't be so to that extent it's been quite a humbling experience but it's still dinosaurs it's still jurassic park it has enough intellectual let's not call it meat it's got intellectual tofu though and that kept me going for long enough and um uh, yeah like I, I i certainly did enjoy it and my 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 fandom of jurassic park as a universe definitely now has a fairly clear hierarchy with the first film at the top followed by the first book followed by this but i'll be interested to see how i feel once when we watch the film like whether 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 the book gets better again in the afterglow of the film. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? What did you think? Yeah, this was always one of my favourite books from when I was a child, and um, it is a it is strange. I, in a similar way to you, I think I come out of the podcast about it liking it a little less. Yeah. Um, but having said that, I'd still I'll still definitely be reading it again, and I still yeah. really enjoyed reading it this time. Yeah. Just when it, when I came to analyse it and talk about it, some of the things didn't stand up to sort yeah. of scrutiny quite so well. Um, yeah. I think when I've read it before, especially when I read it as a child, some of the uh, towards the end, I remember thinking I really enjoyed it, but being a bit confused about some of the details. But just thinking I didn't understand it, and I yeah. think what we've kind of discovered from doing the podcast is just some of the details just don't make sense yeah yeah <laughs> it's, it's not that you don't understand it yeah it's one of the sad things about growing up isn't it that you you kind of eventually develop 
the ability to look back at things which previously you accepted as maybe a bit confusing and I'm probably wrong about it, to look back and be like, oh, Michael Crichton is in fact one of the grown-ups that Sarah Harding, me, Harding was warning me would get things wrong. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But having said that, I mean, there are still so many like set pieces from this that I, vet, that I remember really clearly and, and will look forward to reading again. And I'll yeah. definitely be picking it up again in a you know a few years' time and having another read of it. Um, yeah. It's a great, it's, it's a really great holiday read. You could yeah. sort of sit by the pool and just flick through that in the space of a day or two and yeah. have a rollickingly good time. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it won't be the sort of you know mass. Uh, I don't know, like you say, intellectually um, brilliant read that you may that it may, that it sometimes pretends to be. Um, that's yes. Probably yeah, I, I think I think that's fair. For some reason, that summation of it want, leads me to want to say the sentence: "It's probably a better a beach read that's better for your soul than the Da Vinci Code." But that is damning with faint praise. If ever I heard it, <laughs> I want to come up with a better formulation. I just can't think of one right now. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing, the difference I found was I put the Da Vinci Code down and thought I'm never reading that again. That was that was a miserable experience. No. I, I, I just I hated it. Whereas yeah. I finished this and thought, yeah, I. I even though sort of from like an academic perspective it's kind of it's got some similarities i think mm. it's a much more enjoyable story and and the the plot holes aren't nearly as gaping as the da vinci code was i think the da vinci code the problem with it is it's just so up its own ass as well yeah and yeah. It, it, it sort of it goes it, it's much more it, it makes much bigger deal of trying to present itself as an intelligent book um, That's true, and and, really and yeah, exactly. When it's and I think this book really does belong in the same category, just because of how much Michael Crichton palpably wants to present himself as you know a massive scientific thinker through mm. the medium of popular fiction. Um, but unlike the Da Vinci Code, he does it with a certain amount of skill and respect for his characters. And again, in the character of Sarah Harding, does something genuinely great in presenting an unambiguously self-driven empowered female protagonist um, mm. and for that alone he deserves better than Michael the bad guy was in the boot all along sorry Dan the bad guy was in the boot all along Brown and his <laughs> attempted plot dynamics um, but and but so he does it with more skill you know Da Vinci Code is one star this is I think at this point for me three star mm. um, and it used to be four and a half so that's kind of sad but I'll, three star is I think still fair yeah, I'd still, I'd still stick it in at four stars, just simply because of, I think, I think, I think if I hadn't read this as a child, it would probably be three stars. <laughs> but it, it, it's it's holding on to four stars simply yeah, because yeah, of the nostalgia yeah. factor for me as well. Yeah, yeah, no, um, absolutely. But I would say Jurassic Park is a is a much better book, yeah, um, than yeah. than the sequel. Yeah, overall. I agree. I agree. And i think your daughter agrees too so i think she I think does <laughs> on that note i think uh we will leave it here for the lost world the book but we yep. shall return with our thoughts on the film and yeah. get ready because i think dave will have some issues with, with certain <laughs> characters in that film <laughs> i think he will as well okay until then until then